This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zuma Radio, AM 740. Hello, friends. Welcome to the program. And if you're in New Jersey, New York, anywhere along the eastern seaboard that was hammered by Sandy, might give such a destructive, horrible, calamitous uh, weather force such a innocuous, lovely name. Ironic, isn't it? Uh, anyway, if you're if you're uh, if you're suffering, if you're in the cold, you're in the dark. Maybe you're listening to this show on a hand cranked CC radio, CC crane uh, radio. Uh, a special hello and welcome to you. Uh, you're in our, our thoughts and our prayers. We hope that you get uh, power restored uh, soon. Uh, we hope you're warm, you're dry, you're safe. Uh, take heart. It's uh, it's going to get better. It can only uh, get better. Now, having said that, uh, of course. We're keeping a close eye on another storm that uh, may um, hit land, I believe, Wednesday of this week. So let's just hope that um, uh, it's not going to be anything like Sandy, we're assured, but let's hope that it uh, just completely uh, uh, avoids land and uh, uh, goes somewhere far out to sea, the Grand Banks perhaps and uh, leaves well enough alone. We've all uh, suffered enough. Again, welcome to the program. We're going to talk about uh, Hurricane Sandy. But before we do, I just wanted to mention this to you. I was, um, this is something I just learned. Uh, my, uh, my lovely bride, the mighty Aphrodite, she has family down in New Jersey, uh, on the Jersey Shore. Uh, they have a, a, a place on Bradley Beach, which is just, I believe, south of uh, Asbury Park. And uh, luckily, their uh, their place was, I mean, either side of them, they had uh, their basements were flooded, but they're right at, perched in the middle, and they were dry, thank, thankfully. Uh, but most importantly, of course, they're safe. So Asbury Park, of course, uh, got hammered, and uh, that is, of course, the um, the city that gave us the boss, Bruce Springsteen. Now, one of his first albums, I believe, was Greetings from Asbury Park. And the title track, Asbury Park, the subtitle. Do you know this story, Tim? I, I just learned this the other day. I was driving around and they played this song on the radio and, and I got the backstory. The subtitle of Asbury Park is called Sandy. And here's Bruce Springsteen singing about 
I guess, unrequited love for this girl, Sandy. I don't know the, the, the story of the song, but can you, I mean, is that a coincidence or what? Wow. All right. Let's, uh, let's talk about Hurricane Sandy and whether or not there's more coming this way. Uh, just prior to Hurricane Sandy, we had an earthquake and a, uh, what could have been a tsunami out on the West Coast. Uh, that was kind of a surprise. I can't remember the last time we had, what was that, like a 7.4 or something off the coast of B.C.? That could have been a calamity. And I've got family out there, and I know many of you listening have too. But was that, is that a dress rehearsal for something else coming our way? So let's talk about uh, earth changes. What can we expect in the future, in the immediate future? Sitting opposite me is a dear friend of the program, best known as a trance clairvoyant, also called Canada's Edgar Casey. He's a spiritual healer, a teacher, a published author. He demonstrates many abilities studied by noetic sciences, including clairvoyance, telepathy, energy healing, remote viewing, which is why we've sat him down here tonight, prediction and prophecy. And uh, he's got a new book out. Let me just uh, grab the copy of that here so that I make sure I have the title correct. It's called The New Renaissance, A Prophecy of 2012 and Beyond, now in its second printing. A great pleasure to welcome back to The Conspiracy Show, a good friend, Douglas James Cottrell. Douglas, how are you? Fantastic, uh, Richard. It's a pleasure to be here again. Um, as I've watched your career grow and, uh, and see the audience that you've built, it's uh, a pleasure to come back and be with you again. Well, you've been uh, part of this family and my extended radio family for uh, for many years before uh, I was in front of the microphone. So it's always great to have you here. Uh, let me ask you first, as a remote viewer, as a, as a, as a trance a clairvoyant, when you see things that happened just recently, with, and I'm talking Hurricane Sandy, do you sort of nod your head sort of solemnly and say, yep, there's more of that coming. Well, Richard, the temptation to to say I told you so is always there, but I never do. Uh, we've been on your show many times and in other stations where we've talked about Earth changes. Uh, I think I was one of the first people to uh, have a vision and actually announce on your show that the Earth's core was spinning at a different speed than the uh, surface or the Earth's crust. Uh, we've talked about the alignment of planets, which is coming up on November the 28th, which is a V-shape with the sun behind the Earth. I'm not quite sure that if that's exactly the date on the 28th, but this is the, the vision I've had where the Earth is pulled in two different directions at about a 45-degree angle with the sun behind it and a, and a lunar eclipse taking place at the same time. Uh, the things that I've seen in the future um, and the things that we've predicted are coming true. And some of the things we said back in the middle 80s and uh, in, in certainly the 90s uh, about this time, 2012, I don't believe that the world is going to end uh, in December, just before Christmas. Matter of fact, when I was in Poland recently, I had a, 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 almost a 1,000 people for my lecture, and someone asked that question. They were terrified of what's going to happen. My response automatically was the sun will come up and the sun will go down on the 21st of December. So what, what you're seeing has nothing necessarily to do with Mayan prophecy, or they may dovetail in some deg degree, but you're not, you're not saying that this has to do with Mayan prophecy and December 21, all hell's going to break loose. 
Well, uh, exactly in the book, we talk about this as a renovation time, and that's why we call it the new renaissance. This is 2012 and beyond. You know, the world is going to be here in, in 2013, et cetera. But the problem is that this is what's going on now. I've had people criticize me a little, you know, friendly criticism, saying, well, what happens if the things in your book don't happen? And someone remarked on my behalf and said, well, just listen to the news. Greenland is melting. The surface of the glacier or the ice cap on, on Greenland is melting. In the South, uh, uh, in the South uh, Arctic, uh, Antarctica, we've had huge chunks of ice bro- uh, breaking off. And those, remember that um, Manhattan Island-size uh, iceberg that was floating around in the South uh, we've had all these things changing in, in Spain, the uh, circumstances of uh, of earthquakes there. And not too long ago, near Huelva or the southwest, there was this, this fear that tsunami was going to come over and wipe out uh, the New England coast of America. If you look around, these things are happening right now. And these are things I've said in the book. This is not a book of dread, and it's not a book of earth changes where we're going to fall apart. It's a book of hope, what's going to happen beyond this time. But these circumstances are happening now. Just look in the news and you can see that as we come to this crucial point in December, that there is a leading up and then there is going to be a follow through after. And it's like a line in the sand that uh, the source that we use uh, in the deep trance meditation, my intuition, we just call it the source, uh, has been talking about for years and years, that this is an important time. This is also a couple of years ago I was on your show and we talked about this when Pluto is coming through the constellation of Capricorn. Every time this happens, and I'm not an astrologer and I don't mean to sound like one, but every time this happens, uh, a renaissance happens in the world. The last time this happened, the American Revolution took place. Things are changing on all levels, theology, science. Uh, medical procedures. We're now looking at a cure for AIDS. We're looking at, you know, this Boson-Watts uh, God particle thing has come through. Uh, we're looking at the uh, small world like we are looking in the big world or the microcosms the same as the macrocosm. And so a lot of really important discoveries are happening. However, Sandy came through, surprised the heck out of everybody. We're having spontaneous uh, um, uh, ex- weather experiences around the world. And as I was said on your show, I think it was just a year or two ago, where I talked about the oceans heating up, and this is the main cause. This goes back to the prediction that the Earth's core is spinning at a different speed than the surface. It's like friction. Just to clarify, excuse me, Douglas. Uh, so, I mean, Al Gore tried to pin Sandy on on uh, uh, global warming. I mean, it, it's uh, not not the case at all. No. My my book not only talks uh, in the book we talk about these things, not only at what's going to happen. But like uh, um, no one else, we explain why they're happening. Remember on your show, I challenged Dr. Suzuki to see if the Earth's core was going to be spinning at a different speed than the surface. Well, it is. And that's why we're having volcanic activity all over the world. We've had earthquakes going up uh, in Lake Ontario all the way to Montreal. There's been earthquake activity in Montreal, which I think on your show last time I was here, we talked about the volcanoes that are sitting there in, in the South Shore. We've talked about the experiences on the West Coast, what's happening in Japan. We've talked about different parts of the world uh, being flooded, uh, Africa's coastline shrinking, the Atlantic rising, the Mediterranean coming up. And uh, But it, the Earth is always in flux, right? It's always changing. Mm-hmm. We're always experiencing extreme weather. That I mean, the only th- th- thing certain about the weather is that it's uncertain. Mm-hmm. So what's 
changed, and and what's where where are we going with this? Where, where is this leading? Some well, catastrophic event? It is. The uh, we've had uh, visions of the Earth wobbling on its axis and even changing uh, its direction. In other words, we rotate from, uh, uh, if you will, towards the east now, and I think it's going to rotate toward the other way. The sun will rise from the west instead of the east. Uh, not only am I For seeing... For that to happen, though, for that mm. to happen, you're talking about, uh, that's not even a pole shift. I mean, I don't know what that is, but, you're, I mean, oh, that's going to cause major, major biblical devastation. Yeah, Billions yeah. of people yeah, dead. Yeah. The oceans are going to rock out of their basins. And this is not me talking. Nostradamus said this. Uh, Velikovsky uh, was talking about this. The world's gone through three, if not four, previous world destructions. And this is what's going to happen in our time. The volcanic ash from the sky is going to be the worst because things won't grow, transportation will stop, weather, uh, water will be polluted. Again, these are things that are happening right now. The oceans are going to rise. Why? Because the ice caps are melting. The ice caps are melting. What's that going to cause? The planet's going to wobble and be unstable. And right now, there's a 40-degree wobble in the Earth right now. The magnetic Earth uh, pole shift is changing. The geographical pole is wobbling as well. Just hold on. We'll uh, take a time out. Come back. Douglas James Cottrell, trans-clairvoyant healer. Canada's Edgar Casey, the man with X-ray eyes, and uh, he's remote viewed into our future. Something wicked this way comes, perhaps, and you can get on board with the conversation. We'll make the phone lines available to you as well if, if you'd like to discuss Earth changes. And we'll also get into the U.S. election and what that might portend. Back with more of The Conspiracy Show. Don't go away. Peering into the shadows where the truth often hides. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. AM 740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Big Brother is listening, and so are you, to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM740. To speak with Richard, call 416-360-0740 or toll-free in Ontario at one 866 740-4740. Welcome back. Our catastrophic earth changes, war, global depression, civil unrest in our future. Well, some say the future has arrived, uh, and we got a small taste of it um, uh, last week when um, Hurricane Sandy came ashore. And I believe the, um, the, uh, the death toll now stands around 102 uh, of course, every life precious, but uh, when you weigh that against uh, earthquakes in Haiti and, and other places, really, we, dare I say, got off light. Uh, the question is, is there more of that coming? Uh, and will these storms intensify? We had an earthquake off the coast of British Columbia. Uh, was that a dress rehearsal? Again, we got off light. Very little damage, no, uh, no fatalities, no injuries. 
Um, is there more coming this way? Douglas James Cottrell is uh, with us, remote viewer, deep trance, clairvoyant, healer. And, uh, Douglas, you were telling me during the break that you've had a dream uh, in which you saw the Earth essentially upside down. It seemed to be. It seemed to be there was a current of water going around the Earth. I saw four continents kind of poking themselves up. uh, And I uh, said in the dream, or somebody said to me in the dream, or this vision, uh, this was the North Atlantic or the North Sea. Now, it doesn't happen that way in our... our, uh, in our world, if we have the North Pole, where the Canadian islands and, and Greenland are, it just doesn't look that way. But if we take the planet and we turn it upside down, we have South America, we have Australia, we have Africa, all four continents, if you will, pointing down. I only named three, but there were seem to be four in this vision. And there was an open channel of water going around. That can only occur if the planet is upside down. Now, um, again, this was a vision I had. Uh, my visions usually come true. And I'm not sure when this is going to happen, you know, tomorrow or 200 years from now. Uh, So everybody is sitting tight, uh, you know, relax about that. But the stage is set. The ice caps are melting. We're losing our stabilizing uh, influences. It's like a top spinning on the table. If you put a weight off the top, off balance, the the top wobbles and will flip over. This could happen with the... uh, with the shift in the oceans. And you're not the only one that's had this vision, correct? This is true. Uh, Paul Solomon, uh, the famous uh, uh, sleeping prophet of, of Edgar Casey fame, at the same life, the same time he was alive with Ross Peterson, who was my mentor. And Edgar Casey has seen this. Uh, Nostradamus has mentioned these things. There are other people who have talked about huge waves uh, coming over the ocean. Velikovsky was a famous uh, scientist who said this is why all the dinosaurs were caught along the mountain ranges and why you found the caches of bones, because this has happened before. Uh, what we're, there are websites now, if you track them, the amount of uh, volcanic activity and earthquake activity is enormous around the world. Look what happened in Japan, and we've forgotten about it. Mm. There are things happening in Spain and Italy and, and many other places that are now, uh, Etna is uh, going off. By the way, this is the key for me. If I see Etna and Vesuvius go off at the same time, then I know the door is closed and we don't have a chance. Now the countdown happens with earthquakes speeding up around the world. If there is a war in Turkey, this is another key that we're now failing and we can't retreat. The Hopi Indians... Why is that a key, Turkey? Uh, something uh, a long time ago, uh, other people, including myself, have seen that Turkey, either a nuclear war or an atomic blast or something was going to start in Turkey and then it was going to spread out around the world. Turkey's a linchpin, not Iran. This is true. Interesting. Now, uh, let me ask you something. You, again, the earth flipping upside down, essentially, in your vision and others, other sleeping prophets having this vision. How does anyone survive, walk away from that? I mean, are there, are there any safe zones if something like that would yeah, happen? Yes, apparently. Uh, the, the four corners uh, in the U.S., in, uh, this is New Mexico and Colorado down that way. Uh, Canada is perfectly safe except for the West Coast, which I believe is going to disappear, including uh, Alaska. I had a voice, an angel, something, if you will, tell me that everything west of the Rockies, including the Jewel of the North, and it took me weeks to figure out Jewel of the North meant not Vancouver Island, but Alaska itself. And if you look at the fault lines scientifically, you can see these things are happening. When uh, Japan, uh, when there was an earthquake last time in Japan, the Japan actually separated further 
something like 1.3 meters, I'm guessing at the exact uh, measurement, actually separated from North America. If we look at the land masses in the south and near Argentina, there is a huge land mass east of the tip of Argentina that is ready to come up. We look at the uh, at the floor of the Mediterranean, and it's rising. Uh, people in Spain, where I've been many times, I've been in Argentina and Spain and Poland, and I travel a lot, people around the world are having these warning dreams that this is going to happen. But to answer your question directly, uh, Edgar Casey said it best, uh, stay away from the coast, the east coast of America, 200 miles or a certain height above sea level, and you'll be safe. I've seen the White House, and I've said this on your show before, yes. completely washed out and and uh, the sewers backed up and, and the poor people in there. What, what does that mean? It means that the White House will be abandoned. And if you look... You know, the Potomac, and you look at the East Coast, you could see a tsunami coming up there to wipe this out. It was amazingly. But well, I've had uh, some, some people on this show talking about how they have seen documents and have, have heard from people inside the U.S. government who have leaked information to them, talking about how the U.S. government is quietly and quickly uh, m- preparing for such an eventuality. Um, moving entire departments away from the coast, inland, uh, without any, you know, uh, they haven't talked about it, any publicity, it hasn't been in the media, uh, relocating uh, uh, libraries. And and, uh, and then, of course, in, in Norway, we have this... Uh, the big seed cache. The, the seed yeah. cache, the ARC, they're mm-hmm. calling it. So uh, so the, the government knows that this is, is happening, so obviously it would tend to suggest that it's more imminent than, you know, s- something far off in the future. I, I believe that's true, Richard. With all my heart, uh, I'm not a fatalist. I'm not uh, someone that makes irrational comments. I take responsibility, the same as yourself. And I've been quietly saying these things for... Uh, decade or two that they're coming. But now we believe there's an urgency. You should be prepared. The book talks about how to be prepared. The book talks about how we can avoid situations like this through our spiritual consciousness being raised. But I agree, and it's uh, every time I hear of something, it looks very suspicious, like the long, long gun registry in our, our land has been repelled. Why? Perhaps that's in preparation for uh, some violence that's going to come in the future. I look at the uh, Americans the same as you've just said very astutely. They are moving things inland. The East Coast is terribly uh, susceptible to a tsunami and flooding, the same as the West Coast, for right down the West Coast of the Rockies. And if we look at the earthquake activity, we can see that the world is just ready to explode. What's the day after going to look like? I mean, th- th- this, is, this is something that would take hundreds of years to recover from, I'm guessing. Well, we addressed that. People asked that. Uh, Our friend Chris, who's in the studio here, might have asked that one time. What's going to happen in 2013 or whenever after after this situation occurs? Uh, We have had uh, Americans who have likewise um, have had visions or dreams, and they've lived on the East Coast or looking to move inland. I'm not trying to defer to ordinary people, but if ordinary people all over the world are having the same type of dream, this must be something in the race consciousness. It must be uh, the divine preparing us. The day after will be that the East Coast will, will, everybody will survive. I mean, the places will survive. We're not going to be sunk and gone and, and underwater. But after these, the rocking of the oceans, there will be, as Edgar Casey predicted about Virginia Beats, 
the East Coast, his facility will be in ruins. And that's why they have their records in a vault so they can be found after the, the, the day after, if you will. But billions, I'm guessing. There are seven billion souls on this planet. Billions will be lost. Well, I predicted that a huge percentage of people will be lost, and I believe that some of the uh, predictions when the children in Fatima, I think, uh, had those visions of the lady, uh, the last prophecy is that we might have a third of the people gone from the earth. This is the third secret. I think so. This is what my information is and my intuition is taking me that way. Uh, certainly, I had a vision of Africa shrinking the same continent size and shape but shrinking. That means that the coastline of Africa will be submerged. Edgar Casey talked about the battlefields in Europe being underwater. Uh, when I was in Poland, well, my interpreter had a vision of a tsunami coming down from the north and, and basically flooding the North Sea or the north part of Poland. My son had a vision where there was a something happened in the Caribbean and uh, a, a liner, was uh, a cruise liner, was put up on shore. Uh, that would be an enormous amount of water shifting and mo- moving. We should be aware of these things. But again, pay attention to the volcanoes. When the volcanoes go off, the ash coming down will stop a lot of things. Traffic, growing seasons, and I'm saying to be prepared. Have a six-month supply. Have some sort of water supply because the water will be the greatest uh, uh, tragedy of all. We won't have fresh water. Before we get to that natural cataclysm, I mean, one has to even wonder, will we survive to get to that point given... Uh, all of the other storms that are brewing out, brewing out there, and I'm talking about the, you know, the financial meltdown. Uh, I mean, this re- this recovery, if you want to call it that, sputtering along. Um, you know, there are many um, minds brighter than mine who are suggesting that we are we're getting ready to go back down for another recession. This could be a double, you know, a double dip recession. Uh, we're talking about. You know, massive food prices, uh, increases in food prices next year because of droughts and so forth. Well, uh, and the civil unrest that that could bring and, and the depression and the, uh, the um, you know, the, the debt crisis in Europe. And I mean, are we going to even survive as a people uh, to get to this economic or this, this, this next uh, cataclysm? What do you see happening uh, in, in terms of the economy in, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the future? Well, I've said on your show before, we're going to have superinflation. And I believe after the election that there will be an uh, increase in all the commodities uh, which are being suppressed artificially now. That's my opinion. What I've seen is interest rates going up more than they were ever before. And I've been on your show years ago. We talked about 20, 25%, uh, 22% interest rates. And I also predicted on your show the interest rates will go down to 2 or 3%. That's happened. The next prediction is that they'll go up more. Interest rates will be more than what they ever were before. Uh, we're going to survive this. The reason that these situations or calamities are coming is because you know you have to pay the piper. The world is uh, winding down through all the corruption and the greed that is taking place, the lack of caring, the lack of compassion. The Hopi Indians predicted that we had an opportunity of the world going into two futures, two timelines. One, that we could survive this and we could avoid a lot of these difficulties or catastrophes. And the other is that we spiral down into despair. And so what's going to happen is that just like the hurricane that came through here in in the end of the 80s, 1988 or whenever it was, 86, 88, after disasters, what happened? The world recovered. There was a boom in the economy. And I think this is what's going to happen. Through these tragedies, 
the world will never ever be the same as it was now. We'll have a whole um, movement forward to help each other. And the military, as opposed to, you know, spiritually speaking, the pendulum swings one way and then it swings back equally and opposite the other way. As much as the military has been involved in taking lives and destruction, the military will be our way out. These will be the, the group of people who have the resources, the manpower, the know-how, the capability to rescue us, which will make the biblical uh, prophecy of the military turning their weapons into plowshares come true. The rescue idea, us how? I mean, uh, some see the militarization as part of the problem and, and the saber-rattling in the Middle East and uh, uh, these, these, this unseen hand that I see operating in the Middle East and, and using Arabs and Jews as bloody battering rams against each other for what end purpose? I have no idea. I don't pretend to understand it. But how do you see the military as being our savior? Somebody has to rescue us. And who above all people in the world would do that? They have ships and planes, we have resources, transportation, young men, highly trained. This is the only group of people on the face of the planet that could help us in the various countries, yes. So they'll stop fighting. If you ever notice it, uh, if you look at some natural disaster, always seems to come along when they, when imminent warfare is about to take place or, or there, soon thereafter there's a natural disaster. Always, if you compare, you'll see that uh, nature rebels. And I think this is, the, this is how they're going to help us. We are going to have to move uh, massive amounts of resources from one place to another, which, of course, brings in this cooperative effort, talking now more in a spiritual way, why these circumstances are going to happen. We talk about the law of one, and we talk about gaining back uh, the, from this darkness into the light. And the situation is now going to be uh, fortuitous because... This is a renovation time. The world is going to be different than it is now. I've seen it. It's a wonderful place. All right. We'll come back and continue to discuss the new renaissance with Douglas James Cottrell. Earth changes coming our way, and we'll also get to your phones. If you've got a line, hold on to it. Back with more of The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. The owners of the system are asleep. Now we can play. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. AM 740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM 740. Exploring theories, uncovering facts, and offering a different view of the universe. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett on Zoomer Radio, AM 740. To speak to Richard live, call 416-360-0740 or toll free in Ontario, 1-866-740-4740. And for those of you who are, uh, you know, bailing out and... um Digging out from under Sandy, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing that tonight's show is maybe not exactly the remedy you were looking for, but uh, hopefully what uh, the things that Douglas Cottrell has seen in visions are off in the future, way in the future. No way to tell, really. Um, 
uh, or perhaps I'm wrong, maybe you'll correct me, but uh, we are talking about Earth changes coming our way and whether Sandy was merely a dress rehearsal. Is there more of this to come? Will these storms intensify? Douglas says yes, there will be a major cataclysmic event, something akin to a pole shift. Uh, billions will be lost, uh, but uh, the key, as many of the uh, the great sleeping prof- prophets, Ed- Edgar Casey and others have said, is to get the inland, about 200 miles. Uh, get a hold of some good, good old-fashioned Canadian shield, I guess. Um, now, let's uh, grab some phone calls here. Lisa is in Woodstock, Ontario tonight. Lisa, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. Oh, hi, uh, Richard. It's uh, calling in. Uh, it's a very interesting show. Um, I um, have been hearing uh, on, on the radio uh, Major Ed Dames, uh, who's a military trained remote viewer in the United States. Um, his uh, remote viewing team apparently has remote viewed a kill shot from the sun sometime in 2013, and I was wondering what Mr. Cottrell's uh, view was on that. By a kill shot, you mean a major uh, coronal mass ejection? Absolutely. Okay. Douglas? Well, last December, November, December, we had a similar thing where I predicted eight, or sorry, six sunspots in a straight line, and they were very much uh, occurred that time. And the the plasma uh, from the sun and what happened to the Earth was it basically wiped out our shield. And uh, that particular time, I was shaking myself. I didn't know what was going on until I, these these uh, this evidence that there was this effect from the sun happened. I've not seen this uh, kill shot from the sun. But I, I have said and predicted more such activity as we experienced last December. So I would think something major is going to happen again. And it might, as I'm looking now in my mind, I can see the Earth start to wobble because of this magnetic uh, gravitational pushing away from the planet. And I think this might start to wobble or have a severe wobble. This is what I'm looking at right now. All right, Lisa, thank you uh, in Woodstock for that. Bill is in Hamilton, Ontario. Bill, you're up next. Welcome to The Conspiracy Show. Yes, Dr. Cottrell, I find your theories fascinating. Is there any location that you have where one could come and have a reading? You mean to see me? Yes. Well, we have the Hamilton uh, Beach Center at 180 Beach Boulevard in Hamilton, Ontario. And, uh, you know, they can check the website, douglasjamescottrell.com, and there's more information on that. And we have lots of things going on at the center, too. And people can come and talk to... uh, uh, some of our healing community, and they can uh, pray, you know, ask questions at that time. You, uh, thank you for the call, uh, Bill, in Hamilton. You mentioned uh, to me that at the center in Hamilton, uh, when Hurricane Sandy was bearing down, what were you doing, you and your group? Well, that uh, the Sunday before, we had a spiritual service. Uh, we have a Sunday service for people who are like-minded to us. And at, uh, somewhere during the service, we decided to put our hands in the air. And uh, as your colleague George here felt that healing energy uh, a year or two ago when he was going home, and he felt that, that warm energy that cooked him a little bit, <laughs> surprised him, I think. Uh, if you're listening, George, God bless you. Uh, that we put our hands in the air and we pushed energy towards Sandy to keep it away from the beach. It was on track to go right over Niagara Falls and come for us. And as you know, it went further south of the lakes. And we basically had very little effect uh, on the beach. There was some wind, there was some rain, but there was no uh, effects uh, that happened in many other places. So you're saying mass consciousness, uh, the power of intention... 
can steer these hurricanes around? Well, more than that, it's actual, this energy. This is why I believe the Hopi Indians were telling us so we can change the world with this healing energy, with this invisible force that can be demonstrated. Uh, this is why miracles happen and why pain and suffering goes away in bodies in an expeditious way. But when you have a group of people and you you actually put up a barrier, you push energy towards, you can affect nature. And I teach a class on how to make clouds disappear by looking at them. That happens. We can photographic proof of it. Cloud bursting. Yeah, yes, and many people do this. So many people can get together and push the energy away. And I'm sure the Indian, if you will, uh, rainmakers uh, have that in the reverse way where they can cause atmospheric uh, precipitation. But the point is that this is what we were doing, and you called me deluded, call me call me superstitious. I but would never call you deluded. Thank you. <laughs> this happened. The storm went away from us, but it was bearing down on us, and uh, many people called up, and uh, friends from all over California and Europe were saying, get out of town. This is coming right at you. Okay, so let me ask you this then. If it's possible to, through the power of intention, you think about this, and we'll go into a break, and you'll answer on the other side. Is it, is it, if it's possible to to direct through the power of intention or prayer, whatever you want to call it, a storm out of harm's way, are there perhaps those with slightly uh, more um, uh, malevolent intent, not slightly more, greatly more in, in malevolently intent, uh, who will steer a hurricane into harm's way? Are there are those people out there? We'll uh, discuss on the other side, Douglas James Cottrell, here on The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Providing the evidence and letting you draw your own conclusions. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett on Zoomer Radio, AM740. Welcome back. The author of The New Renaissance is with us, Douglas James Cottrell, trans clairvoyant. We're talking earth changes. And before we get to Tom in Kentucky, who's been waiting patiently, let me go back to before the break. Are there people out there who are on the other side of uh, this equation? In other words, evilly, evil intended individuals who are steering hurricanes into harm's way using the same technique? I, the answer is twofold. Yes, there are. There are people who can control the weather, and they do send bad things out there. And there are, by willful, this is black magic or the cursing prayers. Um, you know, you see in the Christian Bible where Jesus uh, cursed a, a figure, a date tree, and it withered and died in one day. The power of prayer uh, in a destructive way is just as powerful as a constructive way. And we as human beings have this power and this ability within us, whether we know it or not. But what we think about all day long is what we're praying for all day long. And with all the grief in the world, with all the hatred out there, with all the anger out there, we are making these earth changes come about. As a race mind, we are causing our own destruction. Again, what the Hopis were talking about, uh, talking about as we have a way of salvaging ourselves and getting away from this, is to change our attitude. And one thing only, like the Dalai Lama is saying, be more compassionate, which is what the Christ was all about and why he stood out from all the others. He was talking about be compassionate. And the situation is there are people out there who are, I'm sure, in their, in their deluded way, uh, they are attempting to cause harm. The hatred causes harm. 
and hatred uh, is uh, in a spiritual way is like taking a dagger and stabbing people with this invisible energy we call the spiritual energy or energy healing energy if you will to to make a coin a phrase it is real and if you hate you cause destruction but you know what it comes back to you the only energy that is constructive is love and compassion which comes back to you makes you feel better all the other emotions when you send them out affect you in a negative way as well so there are people out there who are praying for the destruction of their enemies and there are other people out there who are in the black areas highly trained uh, and they are actually trying to hurt people that they target themselves all right, Tom is in Kentucky. Welcome to The Conspiracy Show, Tom. You're on the line with Douglas James Cottrell. Yes, good evening, gentlemen. <clears throat> I live here in an area called, well, it's uh, known as Appalachian. As you know, Edgar Casey was from Kentucky, and I hear all of these uh, talk shows about it's not safe to be here, there, when these events take place, and I believe they're going to happen. I just wonder uh, how we fare here where I'm located, because... This past winter was the most unusual winter. We actually only had one accumulating snowfall after a devastating uh, set of tornadoes that came through in early March and killed probably a little over 100 people, which is generally unheard of in the hilly country of eastern Kentucky, where I am. And then uh, that was on March 2nd, and then on the 5th of March... We had a snowstorm where we had six inches of snow, heavy, wet snow, and by the next day, it was all gone. Now, so far, it seems to me that this coming winter, I think we're going to have, uh, and it's just a gut feeling, more snow and so forth. So I wonder if we're safer here than uh, they, I'm sure we are than we would be in Washington, D.C., just to give you a geographical, geographical coordinates. I'm 160 miles due south of Columbus, Ohio. So I just wonder what you think as far as if we're safe here or safer or just what your thoughts are, especially about uh, the weather uh, and the coronal mass ejection. I'm an amateur radio operator, and I foresee the day when we will lose propagation and it will not be coming back anytime soon. So your thoughts on these things. All right, Tom, thank you. Don't go near Washington, D.C., as we talked about earlier. As uh, Tom was talking, I was looking, uh, and, and he was very articulate in his descriptions, and we have talked about these things in the book, this weather pattern. Nostradamus was talking about in the future, people would be very concerned about the weather. These are the indications of the atmosphere changing. Uh, we talked about the uh, friction in the uh, center of the Earth, and I'm going to get back to Tom's question quickly. And that this heating up at the core is heating up the oceans. This is why all these weather conditions are happening. Not the greenhouse effect. The oceans are heating up. Two degrees is disastrous, and we're going to go to three or four degrees increase in heat. And this is what's going to precipitate all this difficulty. I see, as Tom was talking, I could see the, the, the snow coming. The, what I saw, the vision I had was he's going to be safe, but the lowlands in Kentucky will be flooded. So if you're on the lowlands, if you're down in the hilly country, uh, we move up the hill a little bit or, or try to go a little higher. Uh, Windstorms, yes, but I see uh, as much as the, as the hilly country of Kentucky is as a result of crushing of the, crust, of the Earth's crust where the hills were formed, the only thing I see is water in the lowlands. 
All right, Tom, forewarned, forearmed, as they say. Uh, thank you for calling. Uh, the U.S. presidential election. We, we've got about uh, eight, nine minutes here. L- let's get into that a little bit. What, you know, I, I was joking uh, off air, not really joking, uh, but I said it with a smile, I suppose, that, that sometimes I get caught up in the theater of the election. And is it going to be Obama? And is it going to be Romney? And then I have to catch myself and say, wait a minute, it really doesn't matter. Uh, I, I'm one who, maybe I'm a little cynical, but I believe the, the U.S., uh, election system is 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 designed for continuity, so it doesn't matter who you vote for. It's designed to give the electorate the illusion of choice. But whoever is elected, you will have continuity. You will have essentially the same policies. Certainly, I mean, how what, what, have you re- do you remember seeing a presidential debate where the the opponent agreed with the 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 incumbent so many times? To me, that was very telling. But anyway, uh, let me get your your thoughts on on the election, Douglas. Who do you see winning, and will it make uh, a tinker's dam of difference? Well, uh, Obama is going to win the presidential election. Um, I saw Rodney coming up first, and uh, then I saw Obama with his hand in the air, uh, pointing up with a finger like number one. And then I saw him step up on the stage or step up on a platform, which I think has happened now, uh, where Rodney was pretty close. He had a good shot for it, but he's fading. And uh, as I look in my mind now, he has a... uh, it, not a, not a not a frown on his face, but his lips are together, and I can see the President Obama smiling. So uh, this is what I use. I, I look at the expression on the person's face to see if they're success or not. And uh, I think uh, President Obama will carry forward in his uh, um, in his mandate. And uh, I think that uh, there will be a lot of people who will be very very angry at him. I certainly have seen difficulties coming to him personally, and we've talked about that on the show before. And so uh, there's going to be a lot of anger and hostility after uh, the election. And and uh, what do you see the next four years like? How is it going to play out? I mean, are they going to be? Is the United States going to be able to climb out from under this crushing debt? Uh, are they going to continue to print money? Uh, and, and debase the, the, you know, the value of the currency. What's going to happen in the next four years, the next four-year cycle, I guess? Well, uh, the things in Spain are going to be disastrous. I've seen the five major banks in Spain in great difficulty. Basically, um, they're not going to get another rescue. Um, I've seen that affecting the West, and I think that uh, we're going to see hyperinflation coming. We're going to see uh, shortages. We're going to see arbitrary increases in foodstuffs like corn and soya beans. Uh, if they're not already happening, they will soon happen. Uh, I, you know, I've accurately predicted the gold up and down in your show over the years, and gold is going to continue to uh, go up, and silver will double in price. Let me ask you about that very quickly. Uh, we look at gold now, and it seems to have—I mean, it seems to have supported around fifteen fifty and a lot of resistance below eighteen hundred. Uh, and and yet you look at uh, the uncertainty of the times. All the fundamentals are there. The the gold should be I don't know three, four, five thousand dollars in an ounce. Is it being manipulated? Why is gold stuck in this prison of fifteen hundred, sixteen hundred dollars an ounce? My friend Robert Appel, who has been on the show, he's a good friend of ours and he's been here with you and I uh, in the past, has found out that there is an agency that uh, they can draw on the money from the central banks to sell uh, gold short. It was an agency that was started as a contingency in case there were problems. 
And instead of uh, using their resources once in a while, they use it every day. And they use it on the short side. If you look at all the markets now, they're the terrorists, uh, other people try to sell the markets down or they try to do things to destroy the market so that the market moves very quickly to the downside. 9-11, there were a huge, a, number, a huge number of put options on the airlines. People knew it was going to happen. And these agencies are these uh, people who are somewhat in the middle, have vast sums of money, can draw on, and they're suppressing uh, artificially or deliberately, but perhaps might be better word, the price of gold. I see gold at $2,500 easily. Uh, it's going to break through the $1,800 mark. The gold shares, gold mines are all going to go up as well, and they'll, it'll be the poor man's uh, boom for that. Uh, this will, of course, lead into, as I said, uh, inflation going up five or six points ba- past its all-time high as it has been in the past. The economy will boom. Business will be good, but we're going to have shortages. America is becoming a third-world country. All the jobs have gone, of course, to China. And if you look, China is now buying pipelines. They're buying resources. They're buying mines so they can produce copper. Uh, this is really wise on their part. We here in Canada seem to be selling off all our assets to foreign powers. Not a smart place to be. So in essence, uh, we're giving away uh, the gold, if you pardon the pun, in our country. And this is going to cause us harm with uh, uh, superinflation coming. Uh, you mentioned earlier um, uh, war with Turkey, uh, but how does Iran figure into all of this? Uh, I mean, I'm still at a loss, uh, you know, to make sense of the conflicting reports whether in Iran, in fact, does have uh, capability to make a bomb. Uh, at one point, intelligence agencies in the in, in Israel, who you would think would be in the know, were saying that they do not, uh, and yet uh, uh, Netanyahu, perhaps he was using it as uh, for political expediency, uh, I suspect maybe he was, uh, claiming that they do. And uh, and then we had the International Atomic Energy Board saying that is uh, that they do not have a nuclear program, uh, and then they did about face, and now they say they do. It's back, it's forth. Well, this is where people use me all the time, Richard. Whether somebody's asking for a health reading and a condition, uh, that nobody else can find out, which I'm able to see, or businessmen are coming about uh, their business, which I'm able to predict things about their business or prophesize what's going on in the world. Does Iran what, have nuclear capabilities? What, I was just going to say that. You must be psychic. <laughs> yes, they do. They have suitcase bombs. They're dirty bombs. I've seen that. I've also seen that uh, Israel is ready to pull the trigger. What I have is like a huge gun with somebody's finger on the trigger, and if Uh, Iran moves or flinches, they are going to be destroyed. I've said this before, and it's in the book about nuclear war can happen in the tinderbox in the Middle East. And I believe if so much as a wrong move happens, boom, we have war. I've also seen military bases in Spain, American military bases, ready to fly to Iran. So they're surrounded. Uh, If you will, the wagons are circled in Iran. If they so much as make a, a, a... a threat or a move, they're going to be destroyed, and they know it, and that's what's keeping them in place. Quick, uh, um, back to the phones. I think we have time for this. Phil? No, we don't have time for this. Okay, sorry, we got to wrap. Uh, sorry, Phil. Yeah, sorry about that, Phil. Next time. Uh, Douglas, uh, wow, you. life is not a bowl of cherries. I mean, that must be difficult for you uh, to see this bleakness out there, uh, but yet you're saying at the end, you know, there will be this new renaissance, we will survive 
Uh, There will be, what, heaven on earth? We're going to see the emergence of the ancient spiritual practice, the law of one. You're going to be hearing a lot about this in the future. The law of one is a compassionate law. It's how we can get out of this mess. We care for each other. The golden rule will will come to a single world consciousness. I don't want to say religion, a consciousness. It will be compassion. The law of one, remember that. You're going to hear a lot about it. The new renaissance. All right. Uh, Douglas, always a pleasure. And uh, congratulations on the new website, which I guess is being sort of formally launched tonight. Yes, it is. Uh, I'm going to actually say we're formally launching. It just got together. And I'm going to sign this book, The New Renaissance, which if people want to go to the website, they can see. We have two or three other books that they might be interested in. But yes, we're launching DouglasJamesCottrell.com. Uh, the new WordPress website here on your show tonight, my friend. An honor. Thank you. And people can uh, uh, click on your name on my homepage, and that'll take you right to douglasjamescottrell.com. Thank you, they, Douglas. They can also buy the book at the Conspiracy uh, Culture Bookstore, by the way. Excellent. Thank you. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Live from Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM740. Welcome, friends. Good to have you aboard. Again, if you're in the dark, in the cold, bailing out, digging out from uh, Hurricane Sandy, my thoughts and prayers and uh, best wishes uh, are with you tonight and uh, for the foreseeable future. And uh, we may have to batten down the hatches and go round two. Um, I'm I'm hearing uh, perhaps as early as Wednesday uh, something else coming our way, but uh, thankfully not going to be as bad uh, as uh, Hurricane Sandy. However, if you're still in the dark and in the cold, that's probably a little consolation. Uh, let's just hope um, that um, whatever's coming our way chooses to uh, leave us alone this time around and, uh, and head offshore. We are uh, about to delve into... One of the things, I guess, is uh, uh, the hallmark of uh, uh, this program is to uh, get beyond, I guess, the textbooks and those things that we were taught in school uh, and look at life a little differently uh, because we don't always get the truth from textbooks. Sometimes they're a little behind, that's true, and other times there are things about our uh, past that is conveniently left out, and we're about to find out why that might be. You know, we've, uh, I guess, always been sort of led to believe that uh, civilization began about, uh, I guess, 5,000 years ago or so, 4,400 years ago, ancient Greece, the cradle of civilization. Uh, Most of us now know that's not true. But how far back does advanced civilization go? Well, you are about to have your world rocked right now because we're about to speak with the author of The Lost Civilization Enigma. He's a regular contributor to magazines such as Atlantis Rising and Nexus Magazine. He's labeled a skeptic by the believers and a believer by the skeptics, which is kind of a unique position that makes him a well-recognized voice of reason. He's the author of eight books, including the best-selling The Ancient Alien Question, 
one of the leading contributors to the History Channel's popular series, Ancient Aliens. He lives in Edinburgh on L.A., I think where we've reached him tonight. A great honor to have Philip Coppins back on The Conspiracy Show. Hello, Philip. How are you? Hello there, Richard. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Uh, uh, the ancient alien question, uh, which came out last year, and we talked to you at that time, and you, you talk about sort of the, uh, uh, the, you know, we are not alone. Uh, now in the lost civilization enigma, what conclusions have you reached about lost civilizations? That we weren't the first. And as you're saying in your introduction, you have very much this idea that we are four, five, six thousand years um, still reigns. We have somehow shed away all of this idea that the world was created 6,000 years ago, but we still definitely cling to this notion that civilization is only 6,000 years old. And that's definitely the case if you're looking at textbooks. Uh, you know, we, we go to Greece, Egypt, Sumer, and then there seems to be this big gap. And we are being told by science that we, the human species, have been around for 30, 35,000 years ago. And it seems that for roughly 30,000 years of that existence, we did nothing whatsoever. And that is basically the image which science is, is telling us, that we didn't do anything, that there were slight pockets somewhere in the Middle East, roughly from 10,000 years onwards or so. A few cities like Gobekli Tepe, Gatliuk, Jericho, and a few more, but nothing too much. And that ever after, like, you know, we, as if kind of like, you know, there was a big sunfari or God literally speaking out and saying, okay, now you can do civilization. And at 4,000, 3,000 BC, all of that began to happen everywhere. And that is really bizarre because the, the evidence suggests that we have been around for far longer um, and that there are truly lost civilizations. Definitely, you can, you can say that we have been very civilized pretty much from, from where we have you know, been as a species 30,000 years ago. And you can see that uh, again, uh, science will say this is sporadic and, you know, discarded, like the cave paintings of Altamira or the cave paintings of Lascaux in France. Beautiful things which our ancestors did. Um, and you would think that they are standalone, but just if you go ever to the Dodon region in France, you will see that these cave paintings are part of a, an extremely elaborate culture. Our ancestors 20,000, 25,000 years ago were doing everything. They were painting everywhere. and to some extent, the, the paintings are the only thing which remain because of the position where they were made. But these people were definitely, you know, part of a civilization. Not to do with planes, not to do with Wi-Fi or anything of that kind, but a civilization which spanned a, larger than a country of France, which pretty much was across Europe. And um, with exchange of ideas, exchange of information, planning ideas. And what I find most in interesting an absolute conviction that we were more than just a physical human being, that we were more than just what we saw with our everyday senses. Our earliest ancestors 30,000 years ago or so figured out that there was more to life than just this stretch of time between birth and death, that there was something else, that there was a large universe which somehow our brain could capture, and also that upon death, it seemed that something happened there as well. And all of those things really are discarded by science. Science is, is truly not interested in this. And why science. is that, uh, Philip? I mean, not only are they not interested, it would appear that there is some evidence uh, that 
they've been active in trying to obfuscate, perhaps discard knowingly evidence. Uh, what what's at stake? Why are they afraid? Well, they're they're afraid of many things. The book opens of, with a chapter called the New Inquisition, and it's a, a case of Glozelle. Now, Glozelle is a small village in France. At stake there was the possibility that writing was thousands of years older, or that somehow the dating of certain sites um, was was basically inaccurate. In short, the reputation of some historians and various other academics was at stake. And you would think that scientists are very open-minded, and he would go like, okay, we were wrong, the new evidence is in, and we're just going to adapt our position to this. What happens in Glozell is, is typical um, of, of what basically these, these scientists do, which is that their professor has published something, or they have published something, and if a new discovery is made, they will do everything to make sure that this new discovery is never going to contradict anything they or their predecessors have ever said. And as a result of that, you truly have got this iconoclastic ivory tower, which is constantly kept in place. And in Glozal, they do the most outrageous things. This is a farmer who has found uh, these artifacts. The farmer was thrown in jail. Uh, He was thrown in jail so that the scientists involved, and these are the leading scientists in the field of anthropology and archaeology of the 1920s. He was thrown in jail so that these leading scientists could pretend that he had been arrested for fraud. And sure, he was arrested for fraud, but also the charges were dropped because there was no evidence whatsoever that he had falsified these archaeological findings. But ever since the 1920s, the leading archaeologists of so many universities will continue to say that this man, Emile Fradin, was arrested on charges of fraud, and to them that makes it all go away. Um, It is such a narrow perspective. They twist the truth. They twist it to their advantage. One of the leading archaeologists of its time was a woman called Dorothy Garrow. Uh, She was teaching at Oxford. She went on to teach some of the leading archaeologists of of our time. And Dorothy Garrow was found uh, on the the site of Glozal trying to falsify the evidence herself. She was going to make sure that Glozell was not going to happen. But to what uh, end? Okay, I understand, yes, they're protecting reputations, or you know, maybe they, uh, they have tenure and they don't want to be discredited and, 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 and so forth. And, but this new finding, okay, so it, it, it may prove that uh, you know, man had the capability of you know, the written language several thousand years you know, earlier than previously thought. To me, I don't see that as a huge, as a huge threat. But why send people to jail for something like that? Because it is for them a huge threat. It, it is their reputations which are at stake. They have all published something at some point, whether it's the PhD thesis, uh, you know, which they have created. Um, it, it's a framework which holds in in very thin threats. Um, another example would be in Egypt, where they have constructed this entire timeline. Um, the, the, the Great Pyramid, dated to, to 2450-ish BC. There are carbon dates known to exist since the 1980s, which show that the Great Pyramid and its next-door neighbor, the Second Pyramid, 
that one of Khafre, are 700 years older. These carbon dating results are uncontested. Everybody accepts that they are legit. However, these scientists involved refuse to publish them. And so they can pretend that because they haven't been published in a peer-reviewed journal that they don't exist. They make up the, the rules of the game and then control the game. Um, as a result of which, they can happily pretend, and have been pre pretending for the last 30 years, that everything is fine, that you know, there, there is such a thing. In the case of, of, of pyramids, again, not a single pyramid has ever been found um, which has an intact mummy. Scientists will say that this has all to do with the fact that all of these pyramids have been robbed. Well, that is not the case. In the 1950s, uh, Egyptologists found an intact pyramid. Nobody had ever gone in there. When they came to the chamber, they found the seals intact. When they came to the coffin, the sarcophagus, they found the seals intact there. When they removed the lid of the sarcophagus, they found it empty. There was nothing in there. The same case for the Great Pyramid. Philip, uh, let me uh, jump in here. We'll uh, take a time out when we come back. We'll, uh, we'll continue to delve into ancient civilizations, and uh, we'll also talk about some other pyramids in uh, Bosnia, for example, and why the scientific community has been lining up uh, against uh, their discoverers. And uh, we'll talk about Atlantis and, and, and many other things with Philip Coppins, the author of The Lost Civilization Enigma, back with more of The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Conspiracy Culture presents your chance to hear author G. Edward Griffin. In reality, the United Nations is a seat of what the member governments hope will become a true world government. But will we have freedom or totalitarian rule? The New World Order, a second look at the United Nations. With special guest, G. Edward Griffin. Friday, November 16th at Toronto's Trinity St. Paul's United Church. Tickets now on sale online at conspiracyculture.com. set you free. But first, it'll really tick you off. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM 740. And we're talking about before recorded history, new discoveries about the people of lost civilizations. Uh, Philip Coppins is with us. The author is a, an author, investigative journalist, uh, ranging from the world of politics to ancient history and mystery. He co-hosts the Spirit Revolution radio show with his wife, Kathleen McGowan, as a frequent contributed to Nexus Magazine and Atlantis Rising, and uh, his new book is entitled The Lost Civilization Enigma. Uh, we were talking about uh, Egypt, uh, Philip, and I wanted to ask you, um, uh, I was reading recently about these winged wooden objects that were found in an Egyptian tomb back in the, uh, at the turn of the 19th century. I think it was, um, it, the tomb was called Saquara. Uh, and these, uh, they resembled uh, model airplanes, uh, these wooden um, uh, objects. They had wings, they had uh, a tail section, they even had what appeared to be a fuselage. And uh, I'm, I'm wondering what you make of, of that. I mean, is it possible that the ancient Egyptians uh, had some form of rudimentary, had mastered flight in some rudimentary fashion? Or 
What do you what do you what do you make of those discoveries? Well, definitely they they knew the principles of flight, and and those objects, um, you know, pretty much were thrown in the air, and and basically were you know there to 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 play with, so to speak. But obviously, there's there's a big difference between knowing about flight and 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 how to do these things, but then you also need some aspect of speed. It, you know, planes go into the air at, at various speeds depending on their weight. It's it, it's as simple as that, and that is something for which we really have no evidence whatsoever that the ancient Egyptians were able to do that. Um, nor do I think were they too interested in that. They were very spiritual people. They were mostly interested in in working on on aspects to do with with building projects to do with what we would call spiritual technology, i.e. how to get our mind out of our body and, and how to do this on a, what I would call, regulated basis. It's, it's, it's basically building structures and uh, pretty much creating environments whereby we somehow know that, you know, this is beauty, this is designed with certain specific fractions in mind. And that's something which you see uh, all over Egypt. They had such thing as pi and pi, and they were working with this because they realized that they could build incorporating the beauty to which nature uh, was adhering to as well. And we all know that when mankind builds, we can build atrocities or we can build beautiful buildings. And definitely the ancient Egyptians knew how to create beautiful buildings, which to this very day uh, inspire us. So their interest lay very much more in building and applying all of these things than, than simply trying to you know build a plane or whatever it was something which for which they really didn't have the technology uh but most specifically not the interest well is can you give me an example though of 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 a piece of technology that an ancient civilization had that left you absolutely gobsmacked if i can use that expression lenses um they our ancestors were looking at the stars they were looking at the moon by using crystal lenses they are in various locations, for example, in the British Museum, um, but they are not recognized for what they are. And there's actually evidence uh, by the likes of Kramer, uh, who was translating some of the ancient, uh, ancient Greek texts for the likes of Strabo. And when he was confronted with this, uh, he basically writes quite clearly, saying, well, I know this says glass lances, but we know our ancestors, the Greeks, couldn't possibly have had these. By the way, at a moment in time when these lenses were lying around in museums, um, and so he decided to to change it. He, ch- he decided to, on purpose, mistranslate some of uh, these these ancient texts to do with Strabo, instead saying that our ancestors were using tubes, which doesn't make any sense whatsoever. But our ancestors were using um, lenses. They used primitive forms of of telescopes, i.e., two lenses. Um, working together, and they made observations about the moon, they made observations about various other things in the sky. And um, in various museums, including the British Museum one, some of these lenses remain largely, not necessarily unrecognized, but definitely underappreciated by by science. Um, And so to find that our ancestors were very much the stargazers, um, you know, and that they pretty much used glass technology. Glass is not that easy to make. 
um, and they were perfecting this so that they could look at the stars. That was definitely something which you know I found extremely interesting. I was in, uh, in, in Athens uh, a year ago, uh, visited the National Archaeological Museum, where, of course, the... Um, how would you describe it? It's, it's an ancient analog computer, really. It's the uh, Antikythera me- mechanism. Uh, first of all, for those who, who haven't seen this, uh, describe what it is and how it was discovered and what you think it's, what, what you think it's for. Well, it was discovered at the very beginning of, of the 20th century in a shipwreck off the coast of uh, Antikythera, hence its name. Uh, it's, a, it's a metal device. It pretty much was half destroyed, if not more destroyed, by being on the bottom of the sea for roughly two millennia, as a result of which it's very hard to reconstruct, and it took people, first of all, several decades before they began to do so, but then largely to the work of somebody called Derek Solar Price in the 1960s, people really began to take note of this, and specifically in the last few decades, quite a number of people are actually uh, doing research on this. What they are identifying is that the Antikythera device is something of a, of a scale model of our solar system, thrown in certain things such as the zodiac, the moon, uh, some stars, and that pretty much it was meant to be put into effect that if you, you know, sort of switch the button, then all of these scale replicas of, of the planets began to work and pretty much behave as our solar system did. So calculate astronomical positions. But we're talking first century B.C. here. I mean, uh, from, my, from what I understand, and, 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 and uh, I had this conversation at the museum in Athens, someone was saying this, this kind of technology, uh, this kind of uh, workmanship, we, we didn't have until probably the 14th century. And I think this is a misconception. I think we do have it. There is evidence that we have it. Um, you know, there, there is just disbelief in the book. I point out something else, which is that our ancestors were saying that somebody in a remote past mapped the entire world, um, that you know, there was the science of geodesy, which basically our ancestors were absolutely familiar with. You see this. You see that our ancestors, the Celts, were able to identify, for example, the center of England. For that, they needed to have mapped England, which is you know, several hundreds of miles long. Uh, they were able to do this and pinpoint this with greater accuracy than people in the 14th, 15th, and 16th century were doing. Uh, and it is because they had access to uh, information which our ancestors had acquired at some point in the past. It is just the case that we are not crediting our ancestors with that information. And we pretend that you know, there is this linear tradition of basically stupid ancestors to somewhat clever ancestor, and then all of a sudden in recent centuries everything, um, you know, has been discovered and or invented. And that is simply not the case. We are quite often reinventing things which our ancestors had invented a long time ago. And I think the Antikythera device uh, is is one of these reinventions, or or basically, you know, um, one of the earlier inventions, and that we are reinventing pretty much the wheel. Philip Coppins, the author of The Lost Civilization Enigma. We were talking about the pyramids uh, earlier, uh, Philip, and uh, I want to uh, talk about pyramids that have been discovered elsewhere. Uh, in 2005, huge controversy when um, these formations um, were identified as uh, pyramids in Bosnia, and of course, again, the the 
um, Orthodox scientific community uh, lined up and said these are natural formations, not man-made uh, pyramids. Uh, what are your thoughts? Well, I've been involved with the saga of the Bosnian pyramids from pretty much toward the 2006. Uh, I was an, a participant on the first international conference on the Bosnian pyramids in 2008, and that had some of the leading lights of Egyptology there. I mean, the current Minister of Antiquities, Mohammed Ibrahim Ali, was there. Uh, the leading archaeologists from China were there. And there is very much an East-West divide when it comes to the Bosnian pyramids. And the reason for that is that the Western world archaeologists, specifically the European ones, um, somehow felt left out. They somehow felt that they were far more important than the people who were involved. And so they began an active campaign, um, pretty much of disinformation. Um, the likes of Anthony Harding, who was at that moment in time the chief the president of, of the uh, European Association of Archaeologists, basically told all of his archaeologists that if any of them were ever found to be working at the Bosnian pyramid site, that he would personally make sure that they would never, ever, 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 ever work on any archaeological dig anywhere else. That is threatening behavior. That is not science. Um, and it has to do with the fact that, again, um, you know, they realized that in the case of the Bosnian pyramids very early on, a, they weren't going to control the information. Uh, this information, um, you know, which is scientific, things like carbon dating results, um, were going to come out without their sort of stamp of approval or their way to manipulate the information. They realized that the framework which they had constructed of European history um, might fall apart for a number of reasons. And so they went on a vociferous attack, um, you know, with, with pretty much ad hominem attacks against the likes of Samos Managic. And uh, when you go on things like, like Wikipedia, you can still see how the opening sentence there says, oh, this is all natural and you know, nothing whatsoever to do with man-made. Well, click on the talk page and you will see the good works of, of Doc Weller at work there. And Doc Weller is basically somebody who prides himself on exposing bad archaeologists, but basically is, is the worst case example of that. Um, he, you know, he basically was once asked, well, you know, the ICBP in 2008 said that these structures were more than likely man-made and that further research was required. That is four years ago. Since then, the landscape has completely changed. In 2008, we had the likes of Dr. Ali Barakat, who was a PhD uh, geologist who had been sent to Bosnia on the recommendation of, of uh, Dr. Zahi, who was, and he basically... Uh, you know, absolutely came out stating that these were man-made structures. He spent 42 days uh, doing the analyses at that moment in time. Suppose uh, they are man-made. I mean, in, in one of them uh, the, the, that has been dubbed the Pyramid of the Sun in Bosnia, if it is in fact man-made, it would make it the largest pyramid in the world. If they are man-made, they are real pyramids, what is the significance of that? Um, it, it basically is the significance because what we have here is, is a civilization which, you know, the way where they placed is something called Old Europe. This was a civilization which was dated between 6,500 and 3,000 BC, um, specifically the likes of, of, of one doctor called Maria Gimbutas has written about this extensively. So we know that some of the oldest civilizations in the world um, are present within that catchment area. Um, so far, 
there was no evidence of pyramids, but right now, clearly, that has changed. And it is no longer a question of if they're man-made. Um, you know, they are man-made. It is as simple as that. They are amongst the largest pyramids in the world. Um, this, the steps which are beginning to be uncovered is something which we're seeing throughout the world. And I'm going to go briefly to Stonehenge to actually explain this. Because in Stonehenge, what you have is the scientific dogma which tries to say Stonehenge is 3000 BC, even though there are numerous indications, if not evidence, that Stonehenge actually goes back to 8000 BC. But continuously, they have tried to explain that evidence away. Uh, the likes of Robert Langdon, who's a, a local archaeologist there, is, is, is basically trying to you know, get Stonehenge redated and saying, like, what are you guys doing? Uh, why do you try to keep this at 3000 BC when it's so abundantly clear, supported by evidence, supported by carbon dating, that it's 8000 BC? And the same thing seems to be happening in Bosnia. Now, in Bosnia, it seems to be something of a completely different bailiwick, because this year, uh, for the first time, there was carbon dating results done on the, the Pyramid of the Sun. Uh, in June, and the University of Kiev came back with a carbon dating result of uh, 24,800 years old, which would make it you know, extremely old. Now, it is only just one carbon dating result. More carbon dating results need to happen. More information needs to come out. But when uh, archaeologist uh, prof uh, Dr. Ricardo Brett um, basically w was presenting this at a conference in September, uh, on, on the latest discoveries on the Bosnian pyramids. He basically said, 25,000 years ago, you know, again, we think that this is so outside of the bailiwick of, of our ancestors and civilization, but it sits right in between what we know for such cultures as Lascaux. The ancient Egyptian civilization, the ancient Egyptians themselves said that they went back 25,000 years ago. Philip, you mentioned, our an you mentioned our ancestors. I mean, who are our ancestors that are building these pyramids uh, this long ago in Bosnia, uh, in the New World? Uh, who were our ancestors? Are, are you any closer to understanding who they were, what they were all about? They were the likes of you and I. Um, they had the same brain power. They had the same physique. They had the same, you know, preoccupations. Um, they were like us, and they they built it because somehow. Um, somebody somewhere, uh, the answers might be in my first book, The Ancient Alien Question, uh, might have given them this information. Basically, you know, all cultures say that in a distant past, our ancestors were given information and that they began to work with this information. Okay, and Philip, again, we got to take a time out. We'll uh, pick it up on the other side. Don't go away. Lost Civilization Enigma, Philip Coppins here on The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. Fasten your seatbelt and put your tray in the upright position. You're about to leave everything you know behind on The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM 740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM 740. When in doubt, blame the government. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM 740. Welcome back. Philip Coppins is with us, the lost civilization enigma. Let me ask you about the Baghdad battery. 
uh, sometimes referred to as the Parthian battery, uh, Philip. Um, First of all, describe what these things look like and what they may have been used for and when they were made. Well, I mean, obviously the the Baghdad battery goes to um, Iraq. It goes to a time um, when basically there is believed to have been no such thing as um, you know, the possibility of, of, of working with battery. But it is believed, um, based on, on basically the, the batteries which have been found, that our ancestors were able to play with, with chemicals to create some form of current which would be um, allowed to, to basically plate uh, some metals. Uh, it's still very controversial. It's, it's definitely not something which um, has got an easy answer, for example, which chemicals would have been involved, what kind of current, um, whether and all of these things are, you know, as straightforward as, as, as some people have proposed. But definitely, again, um, you're, you're seeing that our ancestors were experimenting with technology way earlier than we, we normally give them uh, credit for. And, and this is something which you see uh, throughout the world um, and the back of that battery, you know, an awful lot of these things, when you move into such things like metal Baghdad batteries or metal anti-Katera devices, we all know, even today, how much of our technology rusts or is subject to, to problems. And so to be confronted with metal objects which are hundreds or thousands of years old is, is a bit of a challenge. Time does not look kindly to its metals. And so uh, us trying to reconstruct or figure out what these devices once were is extremely hard. And, and what is your what is your take? I mean, was this device actually producing some type of voltage? Do you think? I think indeed it was more than likely producing uh, some kind of low voltage to which they could, you know, basically work with with certain metals and and, and plate and, and and work with them uh, in in basically creating them in the in the shape form and whatever aspect. They, they wanted it to be, um, and you know there's there's clear evidence that our ancestors were very much um, familiar with with things like I mean just on on a, on a slightly different scale like medicine, our ancestors you know knew so much about herbal medicine they knew um, uh, so much and we today have lost that we have big pharma doing things in in certain ways. And we think somehow that our ancestors would know that or do that as well. We consider that to be some form of, 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 of high technology, you know, being able to create a pill out of, out of chemical substances. Our ancestors basically were familiar with the fact that everything which we needed somehow was there inside nature, and they had basically an encyclopedic knowledge of what was there in nature, and they applied it, and they took it, um, and you know, they, they prepared it, for human consumption and for human illnesses. Uh, it's, it's a different approach. Our ancestors were far more knowledgeable and were far more able to play with things. Um, you know, things like when, when people say um, how certain statues might have been um, subjected to some form of, of, of levitation or how to work with, um, you know, getting, getting stones somehow um, soft. Well, there are birds in South America who go to a certain tree uh, and take the basically take the juices from that tree, and they know that even in the hardest rock, by by using that liquid, they can basically soften this uh, stone up, and they can create nests. 
all it takes is our ancestors to look at that bird and say, oh, wow, that's interesting. Let's see whether we can do that ourselves. Let's see whether we can work with these juices um, and, and, and do the same thing. So much is about observation and analysis, and that is something which we um, seem to have forgotten. We seem to try to do everything through technology. Our ancestors um, relied on some technology, but largely they relied on knowledge. Well, let, let me see if we can push the boundaries here a little bit. I mean, a, a, a primitive battery uh, is one thing. Uh, but let's go back to July 1945 and Robert Oppenheimer, the physicist behind the Manhattan Project, of course, um, and the first detonation of a nuclear device at um, Alamogordo. Uh, and then sometime after that, he's delivering this seminar about uh, that blast that he nicknamed Trinity, and a college student asks if that had been the first detonation of a nuclear device on planet Earth, and Oppenheimer's answer, of course, uh, well, yes, in modern times. Uh, what do you think he meant by that? I think he meant exactly what he said. I think he meant that in the past um, there had been not necessarily identical devices, but definitely similar devices of, of you know, great destruction and you again, you see um, the likes of Tesla, who were pretty much in, in his time as well. Tesla understood certain things about the nature of this planet. And at one point, he basically said that he understood how to split the Earth into two. Um, that's, you know, I'm one of those people who thinks that it's quite a good thing that the FBI invaded um, Tesla's um, home and his research laboratories and made sure this kind of information didn't get out there because it's quite a dangerous thing. I, you know, I, I quite like the Earth to be one rather than two pieces. Um, but it again goes into this, this notion of, of knowledge. And so what we're seeing is that our ancestors are um, having knowledge as well. Um, but that in the case, I think, of, of, of when it comes to all of these atomic experiments, what they were specifically referring to was texts such as the Mahabharata and other Indian epics, whereby basically our ancestors were describing wars fought in the sky, and they were describing um, you know, battles between the gods, and, and battles okay. which, even though they were fought within the gods, somehow had a result on planet Earth. People Let me jump in here. We've got to take another time out. We'll come back and talk Atlantis. Phil Coppins, The Lost Civilization Enigma. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Philip Coppins is with us. The Lost Civilization Enigma, a new inquiry into the existence of ancient cities, cultures, and peoples who predate recorded history. Uh, Philip, obviously much is uh, a lot of speculation about Atlantis, what and where is Atlantis, and what's the best evidence for its existence? Well, the best evidence for its existence is basically what Plato told us. Plato was the guy who wrote it down, uh, who said he wrote it down in the book of history, he said it was history, and we currently live in a mindset whereby somehow we uh, defer to scientists who basically say that he didn't mean it to be history, that somehow him saying it was history was some kind of literary device and that he was basically describing an idealized state. And that is a position which you simply cannot maintain if you are truly scientific, because in his time, the 4th century BC, Plato had his own attackers. Uh, they didn't believe this. 
So what they did was they jumped on a boat, they sailed to Egypt, they spoke to priests who had related this story to Solon um, a few uh, years before. Um, the priest said, yes, we know about this lost civilization called Atlantis. It is written on that column over there. Uh, the likes of Krantor jumped back into their boats, sailed back to Greece, and basically said, um, yes, we were skeptical, um, but indeed the ancient Egyptians did um, have the story of Atlantis, and uh, therefore what we uh, you know, hear Solon say and Plato wrote down is absolutely accurate in the sense that the ancient Egyptians believed that Atlantis existed. Obviously, their belief doesn't necessarily mean that Egypt existed, uh, that Atlantis existed. But the story of Atlantis is about a lost civilization, which is 10,000 years old. We now know that 10,000 years ago, we were at the end of the last ice age. It meant that areas of um, Europe and the Atlantic Ocean were exposed, which are now below the sea. We know that there were gigantic ice sheets which were beginning to melt. Things like Scotland and parts of England were under an ice sheet which was two miles high. Um, all of that began to melt, as a result of which the water levels began to rise. What we hear in the story of Atlantis is, indeed, that the waters began to rise and that the civilization of Atlantis was destroyed um, in a single day and a single night because it was actually um, a, a plain level civilization. So once it began to flood somewhere, everything flooded. Um, the civilization of Atlantis, if you listen to dates which are put down by Plato, that existed from roughly 25,000 BC to 10,000 years ago. Um, when you look to certain um, scientists like Dr. Mary Setegast, she wrote a wonderful book called Plato Prehistorian, and she identifies what we know about civilization in 20,000 to 10,000 BC in the areas which Plato said were under the influence of Atlantis. Um, and then we look at what Plato said, and the two overlap. So the only thing missing is uh, the possibility that there was indeed a, an island somewhere in the Atlantic Ocean. Um, and in the book, Lost Civilization, Enigma, I actually put forward um, a possible location for this. It is the work of a Dutch scientist called um, Willem Zitman, who has been um, looking into such things as Stonehenge, Isa Plateau, Teotihuacan, and Tijuanaco, um, and felt that their positioning um, on the map of the world was no coincidence. He basically found that together with a site in the Atlantic Ocean, they form the layout of the constellation of Orion. Um, and we all know that Orion was a very important constellation, both in such places as Teotihuacan in Mexico, but also in such places as Giza. Um, the importance of this constellation for Orion sorry, for, for Stonehenge and Tijuanaco, isn't clear yet simply because too little evidence and too little research has happened in these two uh, sites to, to come up with a, a possible correlation with Orion. But it is, you know, one of these things, once again, that it is clear that the New World and the Old World were somehow in communication. Imagine there are millions of stars out there we know that on the old world and the new world, these were grouped pretty much identical. Both Orion uh, was identified and grouped as such in the new world and the old world. Uh, Orion's belt was then specifically linked with pyramid building. Teotihuacan complex was the built-in layout of Orion's belt, as were the three pyramids on the Giza Plateau. Just so I'm clear here, uh, Philip, are you, is the suggestion that 
some civilization hailing from somewhere in the Orion Belt was working with uh, whomever here on Earth, helping to build pyramids, helping to build Stonehenge, involved in the technology, uh, perhaps giving the technology to the Atlanteans? Uh, it's a possibility, but I wouldn't go as far as that at this moment in time. Uh, in both the mythology of, of the, the ancient Egyptians and the Mayans, what they say is that there is somehow a cradle of life um, just south of Orion's belt, which somehow um, has an effect on, on life, whether this is some kind of you know, emission of energy or whatever it is at this moment in time, we don't know. Um, you know, and for all we know, and we should be open to this, our ancestors were simply confused uh, or mistaken. But it is a fact that both the ancient Egyptians and the Mayans were absolutely um, adamant about this fact. They linked this area with magical birth. Um, and so they incorporated into the layout of um, these important complexes, and they link it with the gods. Uh, they say that the gods convened that the gods descended from the sky in these places, i.e. Teotihuacan and, and the Giza Plateau. And I think, you know, once again, we need to go back to, to older times of, of like 30,000 BC, the, the beginning of mankind, when we have a consistent picture. Uh, you know, our ancestors, whether they are ancient Egyptians or whether they are a different civilization, they say that the gods were present on Earth, that they helped us in this endeavor called civilization. And we see civilization beginning at that moment in time. It's not as if, you know, there were thousands of years before the ancient Egyptian civilization began. You can clearly see that our ancestors were far more civilized much longer before. And I find it interesting um, that, you know, we are beginning to find, as in the case of, of, of the Bosnian pyramids, for example, uh, this 25,000 years old thing. That is precisely the date uh, which the ancient Egyptians say the ancient gods came to planet Earth. How, how technologically advanced w were the Atlanteans? Give me some examples um, uh, of the kinds of technology you suspect they had. I, I think technology-wise, they were not that much. I think what they had was an extremely uh, important and an extremely advanced form of understanding. Uh, I think most of their technology had to do with understanding as to how to work with water. Um, today, uh, various cultures, specifically in Russia, uh, there are you know, scientists in, in Russia right now who are studying how pyramid power, um, basically putting a pyramid on the landscape, how it affects the water underneath the pyramid, underground streams which are there, how it affects the water nearby. Uh, somehow it creates a, a kind of energy, a kind of um, vibration in this water, simply to the shape of, of what it is. Um, our ancestors seem to have been aware of this, and they seem to have been able to play with this. They also realized the importance um, of, of, you know, basically surrounding certain parts with water, uh, not defensively, but, but basically how this was energetic, how putting giant stones on the landscape somehow created this, this effect as well, how you somehow were able to literally pull information into you know, rocks. We do this today. Computers and so much uh, else of our technology is basically putting information into quartz or sand. That is pretty much how a watch works and that's pretty much how a computer works. But again, we do all of this very much 
with um, technology, um, hard technology, big machinery. And I think our ancestors were aware of something called, um, you, you might call it spiritual technology. Um, actually, the likes of Paul Davis, who is a professor um, of um, um, astrobiology at, at uh, the University of Arizona in Phoenix, he actually has come up with something saying non-material technology, in which he's basically saying that um, pretty much technology of an, of an advanced civilization, when we uh, connect to it, is pretty much on par with magic. Um, you know, it's very hard to visualize this, but in, in a nutshell, uh, you know, what you might see is, is, is some kind of light phenomena hanging somewhere, and then all of a sudden something happens. Um, it's very much working with the fabric of the universe rather than building a big machine or a sledgehammer um, and, and putting it into uh, work like that. And that is, again, uh, conform with what our ancestors are saying about some of these things, like, you know, like how some objects were sometimes floated into space, levitation, all of these things. Uh, it is looking at the way the universe works and beginning to realize and how to play with this. Tesla is, is a 20th, uh, 20th century example of this. But definitely, um, you know, right now we have certain scientists who are beginning to realize that technology doesn't have to come in space rockets or big machinery, but that technology also involves levels of, first of all, understanding the fabric of the universe and then being able to work with that. Um, and, and again, you know, they go as far as basically say that an advanced civilization um, might actually have non-material technology, i.e. you don't need a machine. It is somehow non-material. It really works with the energies of the universe as such, and that is a technology. Uh, do you suspect that uh, you know, what is, is placed on the shelves um, on exhibit in museums is... Um, mere window dressing in order to sort of buttress this this orthodox timeline that has been laid out for us and that what they have stored in crates in the basement that's the real story and that they're not going to let us see that um yes and no i think that there are objects in museums um which are purposely um you know ridiculed or or misrepresented um either in dates or in importance the, the lenses is, is one example of that. The Leyland lens, this, this telescopic lens used by, by the Babylonians, sits inside the British Museum. Everybody can see it. Um, there are crystal skulls inside the British Museum, and they're labeled as being 19th century fakes. Well, you know, first of all, that's, that's not the case. But if they were, just remove them from the display. Why, why put them there? Um, but there, there are definitely things, um, you know, not necessarily in, in the vaults of museums, I think, actually, most of the material remains in situ. Um, things like the sarcophagi in, this, in the Serapeum in Saqqara in Egypt, you know, where they have come up with ridiculous theories as to how this is somehow coffins for bulls uh, who were deified. Clearly, something else was happening there. Um, we, you know, we might not know necessarily what, um, but we definitely know that, that the traditional uh, explanations do not fit. And so I think it's a combination of, of objects. You know, sometimes they're on display, but they're misquoted. Sometimes they're not on display, and sometimes they remain in situ. Um, overall, however, um, museums do play the role of, of, of window dressing. They do pretend that you know, everything in them uh, and which is on display is extremely important and shows this adventure of civilization. And in truth, 
it is a misrepresentation. Um, and specifically when it comes to things like the British Museum, you know, there are far more interesting artifacts in far small museums elsewhere in the world um, who are far more important than some of the objects which are inside the British Museum or things like the Smithsonian. Well, Philip, uh, I really appreciate your time and congratulations uh, on completing the Lost Civilization Enigma. I guess this will slowly change, but only as the old guard, these uh, gatekeepers uh, sort of die off and replaced by uh, uh, younger, uh, more, uh, I guess, innovative, courageous minds, people such as yourself. Philip, congratulations again and thank you for your time tonight. Thank you for having me on your show, Richard. All right. The Lost Civilization Enigma. Uh, back next week, we'll talk with uh, rock and roll investigator R. Gary Patterson as we uh, near the, uh, the anniversary uh, that gave rise to the whole uh, Paul McCartney is dead legend. Um, R. Gary Patterson will explain that. Is the Paul McCartney, the Sir Paul McCartney we see today, in fact, the same one that started all those years ago with the Beatles? Or is he a replica a clone. We'll find out. In the meantime, don't be afraid. There's nothing concealed that won't be revealed and nothing hidden that won't be made known. What you hear in the dark, speak in the light. What I say in a whisper, proclaim from the housetops. Thank you, Tim. Move over, Aphrodite. I'm coming home. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.